1: Uh, We start today, though, with the anti-vaccination protesters who entered those three schools in Salmon Arm last week. The school district has put security measures in all the schools in that school district now as a result. Have a listen to this. This is Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth on this issue.
2: These people are just, they're just completely uh, beyond any sort of social norm when it comes to protest. It's completely just absolutely uh, appalling what they were doing.
1: Okay, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth there. He was also asked about whether there should be tougher restrictions on where these protests can take place. Have a listen.
2: There may be a a variety of ways of dealing with them. Uh, For example, uh, trespassing into a school. Um causing uh, unnecessary aggression and being uh, abusive to people can uh, can lead to potential charges for example there may be criminal uh, activity involved at the same time uh, injunction is something that uh, the government uh, is looking at
1: okay mike farnworth there the public safety minister and solicitor general about the anti-vaccination protesters who entered three schools in the salmon arm area let's discuss now with my guest matt westfall president of the surrey teachers association matt thanks for coming on today thanks for having me on mike okay matt when you heard that some of these anti-vaccine vaccination protesters had entered three schools in the salmon arm area <clears throat> what went through your mind
2: uh, a <clears throat> bit of disbelief even though nothing some of these people do uh, really surprises me but it's it's just atrocious behavior to be disrupting a school
1: yeah, for sure. And do you think they've done the right thing there in the school district with some of the security measures they're taking?
2: I think they have. I mean, yeah. and I think there could be police action as well because it is an offense under the school act for anyone to disrupt proceedings at a school. So uh, I think the school district is doing the right thing by taking measures to prevent any uh, recurrence of this.
1: Okay, what are teachers telling you? Like, what are you hearing from members of the union about this incident?
2: I, I think... I think they're wondering if it will happen in their own schools because uh, there's protesters in various places in the province and certainly not just in Salmon Arm. There's been activity all over. So they're wondering, is this going to happen again? Uh, Especially today, frankly, when we have over 100 schools being polling sites. So uh, there's definitely people wondering about that.
1: Okay. These protesters were upset that there was a a pop-up vaccine clinic had been arranged at a school and I know that's something that the B.C. Teachers Federation had suggested to the government, like, let's get more vaccine clinics going at schools. Do you think that's a good idea?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And vaccinations in schools is not a new thing. It's happened before COVID. And we know that the best measure we can have to protect everyone is that people who 12 and up can be vaccinated. And children as young as 12 are able to consent, provided they're mature enough to understand what they're doing.
1: Right. What are teachers' thoughts right now as we get into another week of the school year starting today and the protocols that are in place to keep people safe right now?
2: I I think people are wondering whether at what point we may see cases start to go up uh, and the effects of a return to school because the protocols are not as strong as they were last school year. And another frustration people have is the lack of transparency and information about cases that are in the school, which is a big change from last year. So there's a sense that they're not being given information that they would like to have.
1: Yeah, what kind of information are they looking for?
2: Well, just about exposures in the school, the cases, and rather than just... The problem is they're being asked to just trust that if they were direct contact, they will be told. But we know that last year the contact tracing process was quite imperfect and not everyone who should have been contacted was. So there uh, there isn't full confidence in that, which is why they'd like to know, is there an exposure in the school? Let's let everyone know, and the right. community as well.
1: Right. Speaking of Matt Westfall, he's the president of the Surrey Teachers Association, about what we saw last week with anti-vaccination protesters entering three schools in the Salmon Arm area. There are security protocols in place at schools throughout that school district today. Do you think there should be a law brought in provincially to prevent these type of protests at schools maybe at hospitals too we've seen protests at hospitals there's growing calls for a no-go zone or a bubble zone law as it's been called that would prevent protests outside of schools outside of hospitals your thoughts
2: Uh, that's something the province could consider. I mean, this recent incident, they are on school property, and that's something which they clearly are not allowed to do, and there's no need for an additional law for that. The principal can call the police and require them to leave, and then they have to. So as for bubble zones, that's something to consider. It's been done in the past, but I don't believe it's okay or even legal to be blocking ambulance access to hospitals, even as it is. So it's more a matter of enforcing the laws that are there.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that, the vaccine is available in British Columbia for kids age 12 and over and under the laws in our province, particularly under the the Infants Act, a minor. So someone who is 12 years old, 13 years old, they don't need their parents permission to get the vaccine as long as they are deemed to be sufficiently mature by a health care provider. Correct. That's how that's it works, correct. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that that's a, that's a good system or do you think that, you know, what about parents? Like these, are, these protesters are saying that they were concerned parents. They were concerned about this system. Why, why do you think they should people should not be concerned about that?
2: Uh, well, because access to medical care is a fundamental right. And the law has been determined that if, if a child is mature enough to understand the consequences, they can make that decision for themselves. So I think for those parents they should they, if they have that concern they should talk to their own kids and have a discussion yeah. about it and and that's all they can really do. Yeah.
1: Okay Matt thank you for coming on today appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about those security measures now in place at schools in that school district in the B.C. Interior. Anti-vaccination protesters entered three schools the other day in the Salmon Arm area. Let's check in with Stephanie Higginson, now president of the B.C. School Trustees Association. I'm pleased to welcome her back to the show. Hi, thanks for coming on.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: What do you think about what happened here with these protesters going into those schools?
3: You know, when I heard about it, it was just... Uh, it was i just thought it was pretty shameless activity it was hugely disappointing you know it also demonstrated that we are at a very divisive time right now in society and it really to me reinforced the need for a solid and robust public education system because schools are actually the place where kids really become exposed to what it means to uh, you know to get along with people who have differences of opinion and reinforce the idea of social cohesion So it just really reinforced to me that need to uh, have a strong public education system.
1: Yeah. Do you support having vaccine clinics at schools?
3: I, I find that question such an interesting one in this time because vaccine clinics have been operating in schools for years. Yeah. Grade six and grade nine, we've been putting them in schools forever, and I know that right now there's a different level with uh, the COVID vaccine. But absolutely, I support having vaccine clinics in schools. We know that that under twelve age group is, uh, you know, going to be the largest unvaccinated population in this in in the province, and so anybody. Who is interacting with uh, that age group of children? So, older brothers and sisters who are in school, teachers who are in school, parents of those children, they should be getting vaccinated in order to keep those kids yeah. safe, healthy, and in school.
1: Right. The, the protesters who showed up at this school say they're concerned about my, uh, minor consent for the vaccine. So, under the law in British Columbia, a kid who's twelve years old, thirteen years old, can get the vaccine without their parents' consent, as long as the healthcare provider assesses them and is is satisfied that this is a a mature child who understands what the vaccine is, and then they don't need their parents' consent. Do you, do you think that the system for that has been adequately explained to parents?
3: Well, I believe that, you know, like I said, grade six and grade nine, we've been doing vaccine clinics forever. And I, as a parent of two school age children who have, who have both had vaccinations, uh, I was made very aware of that. Um, and the package that came home for my, uh, child who is, you know, already double vaxed well within the school time, double vaxed, but there is going to be a vaccine clinic in my child's uh, school and the notification process was very robust. And, you know, parents have choices if they don't want their child to be vaccinated and they are concerned, then they could keep their children home. I mean, entering a school to protest is just shameless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there should be a bubble zone law? I mean, people have been talking about there should be a no go zone for where some of these protests can be held outside a hospital, outside a school. Uh, Do you think that should be the law in B.C.?
3: You know, I I'm I'm such a strong believer in the right to demonstrate as one of our enshrined rights to a strong democratic society. And, and I hesitate to think that we would start to limit the ability for people to have um, demonstrations and exercise their democratic rights. But this is really like our patients are wearing thin here with people who are making really bad decisions and putting those rights at risk for everyone else. And so it's a conversation that I would certainly enter into, but I would not enter into it lightly Uh, But I do think that if people can, you know, I heard your last guess, we do have the ability under the School Act, if people are interrupting educational programming, they have to be on school property in order to be asked to be removed. RCMP or local police forces can be requested to help with that. I I would like to see us um, exhaust every other effort before we start really infringing on that right. But people should really be careful when they start making these plans because they're going to wreck it for everyone else.
1: Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much. Have a good day.
1: Okay, thank you. Stephanie Higginson there, president of the BC School Trustees Association. Let's see what you think about this on the open line right now. Fred in Kelowna. Hi, Fred.
4: Hey, yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there should be the bubble zone. You'd th- hope that adults could kind of manage their behaviors themselves, but I used to be from Edmonton, and I remember when they are you know, back in the 90s, 80s, there was anti-abortion protests. They would literally physically spit at nurses going into the Royal Elk Hospital, and of course, as you know, these are nurses who had nothing to do with abortions, you know, necessarily. Uh, anyway, but so that's kind of disappointing. But you know, what? same with these kids. Some of these, some of these kids, their parents are idiots. So having a 12 year old make a decision for him or her to get the vaccine, like they do in the school with polio, rubella, measles vaccines for the last 50 years, we've all had. Uh, you know, I think the 12 year olds make the choice in some cases better than their parents. But these protesters, like, honestly, find something to do. Look for a job. How about improve your education, you know? How about take a tolerance course? How about take an anti-hatred course? You know what? Yeah. You see these people in Kelowna protesting here at the hospital. It was disgusting. And then people sharing that. Young people even sharing that on social media, like it's some sort of heroic act. You know, it's a cowardly act. Uh, you know, pick on pick on people at the legislature. Go to the yeah. parliament. Write your part of, like, use your brain. Write your parliamentarian. Argue with the mayor. Right. You know, don't don't overstep the line. I mean, just like teachers, don't overstep the line like that case in Salmon Arm. Okay. So I just encourage those people, grow up, use your brain, you know, organize properly, do not intimidate because you have this really very, very uh, narrow-minded opinion. Okay, Th- that- thank,
1: thank, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I think you raised a lot of good points. It, it seems to me like even for people who have have these concerns or they want more information about how kids cons- can consent to a vaccine, you know, there are places to protest, like the front lawn of the legislature is a, is a good traditional place to protest. High visibility, uh, you can protest there. You can certainly ask for the information that these parents say they were looking for. A lot of it is online right now. There, there's a very detailed description on the health ministry website that I'm looking at right now on this mature minor consent issue about how a kid who is a 12 year old kid can consent to receive a vaccine without the approval of their parents through a process where a healthcare provider has to be satisfied that the kid is mature enough to understand what the vaccine is, what the vaccine does, the benefits and risks of a vaccine. That's the way the system works. And I'm looking at a very detailed description of it. So for parents who are concerned or they've got questions about how the system works it's there for everybody to see you don't need to go barging into a school uh, to get this information it, it is there for everyone to see Let's continue with our urban crime series now. And last week on the show, we focused on downtown Vancouver, some neighborhoods reporting an increase in break-ins, vandalism, assaults, and general mayhem on uh, the city streets. It's been a similar story in Victoria. There's been a rash of assaults against police officers in the B.C. capital, including an incident uh, just this weekend that involved the victoria police chief and he joins me now del manic of chief of the victoria police department i'm pleased to welcome him back to the show chief manic thank you for coming on today
5: thanks for having me on mike
1: okay let's talk about what happened at the legislature in this incident that you were involved with on saturday can you just like this was a um, an indigenous healing ceremony that was happening there right and i know you were invited there by these in- indigenous leaders to be there correct
5: yeah, that that is correct. So yeah. this so this happened on Saturday uh, on the back steps of the BC Legislature, and uh, the, the Chantel Moore's family, uh, who have actually gotten to be quite close with um, with Chantel's mum, and uh, and they had a, an event uh, calls for justice for Chantel Moore and other Indigenous uh, people who have died uh, at the hands of the police. Uh, in many cases. And so they, they wanted to uh, have an event uh, basically in honour of Chantel and, and just highlight some of the changes that they would like to see. and, and But what I really have appreciated with uh, Chantel's family is that uh, they're, they're focused on moving forward. They're focused on building better relationships, having a better response with, to mental health calls, to welfare checks where uh, there's wellness checks that are needed for individuals. And so, so I've been... Um, I was invited as a guest uh as, as a as a presenter um and because I've got this past relationships since Chantel's past passing in June of last year and so during this event uh, as you mentioned uh, I had a female that approached me uh, from behind. Uh, I was in civilian clothes, and and I had already presented, and and in fact, uh, I was honoured that the family had blanketed me, which is a very, very uh, like it's um it's an honourable thing to have happen and whatnot. And they accepted me that I'm working with them to make some of these changes that they so dearly want to implement with between police and and police response with to Indigenous uh, communities. And right. so, uh, you know, a woman came up to me and and um, and poured a liquid. Uh, on me. And, uh, and then, so our officers reacted to that. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, she was arrested, including a number of other supporters of hers who stepped in and wouldn't allow police to engage with her.
1: Wow. O- okay. Chantel Moore. I mean, I think most listeners know this story. She's an indigenous woman from British Columbia who died in New Brunswick uh, last year, uh, during a, a police wellness check. Um, And I think it's amazing that you were invited to that ceremony by her family. And as you mentioned, you've gotten to know her family. The person who then approached you and poured this liquid on you, did she say anything about why she was doing that?
5: Uh, Well, I mean, I can't get into too much detail on that, Mike, because this is an investigation. And uh, so this is in the early stages. I have to be very careful because, you know, one day this this will go before the courts and whatnot. So I don't want to repeat what was said. I did have a conversation with her, but I I, I won't get into that. Uh, But uh, what I want to be clear on is that uh, the Chantel's family and those that were gathered for the Calls for Justice event for Chantel uh, were not involved. Uh, they, they did not involve uh, anybody that was there supporting their event. And, and, of course, I was extremely touched. And I'm not sure, Mike, if you had a chance to watch the uh, YouTube video that Vic PD uploaded last night. I did a joint release with Chantel's uncle yesterday. We want to put the focus back on Chantel's family and, and what they're wanting to pursue instead of on the inappropriate, you know, act that happened against me. And I certainly want to work with um, Chantel's family in doing that.
1: Right. You mentioned that after this incident happened, uh, people were arrested. So I understand there were five arrests and everyone was then released. Have there been any charges in this case?
5: Well, those charges will be recommended. And again, this happened on Saturday afternoon. So there'll be discussions with Crown Counsel. But right now, you know, those individuals have been released. We know who they are. And then uh, that'll be a discussion between our uh, police investigators and Crown Counsel.
1: Right. I I think it's uh, an unfortunate incident, especially when this is part of the reconciliation process that, that I know is important to you. I mean, what went through your mind when that happened what do you what do you what's been your reaction? like what have you been thinking about since that happened and what do you make of it?
5: Sure well, I mean I've been processing it um, as as most people would imagine uh, as to what happened. I mean I understand it uh, I'm symbolically i I'm the, uh, chief of this uh, Victoria Police Department, and, and I understand why perhaps somebody would want to take a shot at the at the police chief to make a point. Um, yeah. But to, to me, Mike, this is just unacceptable. And this really is just a snippet of what our officers are, are facing. You started in your opening and you talked about a number of Vic PD officers uh, that have been injured. Well, I've got seven police officers in the last two weeks uh, that have been assaulted, some violently. Wow. Uh, uh, ambushed and attacked from behind and rendered unconscious. Uh, this is just unacceptable uh, in what's happening and the violence and the uh, lawlessness and uh, some of the behaviors that we're routinely seeing in the city of Victoria here. And so that that to me is a bigger concern, and that's where the focus is: is what is going on? And and you know, and I know that. You know, we don't want to point fingers, but at the end of the day, when we're out on the streets and we see repeat and prolific offenders that seem to continually be released into the community, there's really no lack of accountability. Oh, sorry, there's a lack of accountability and real, no real accountability and a deterrence for for individuals that uh, are criminals or that are violent. Um, And the threshold is actually quite high now as a result of Bill C-75 of where people will be held in custody. Now, I understand the reasons uh, but I think there's many unintended consequences of a bill that was um, put in place for the right reasons. It was supposed to be to provide uh, comfort and support and confidence in the criminal justice system, and I think we're falling short of that.
1: Right. Speaking to Victoria Police Chief Dalmanic about some of the turmoil we've seen uh, in the capital city, uh, as you mentioned, there's seven police officers attacked in recent weeks in Victoria and assaulted. Which is a pretty shocking number. And you mentioned that some had been rendered unconscious. Like how serious were these attacks? And what kind of injuries did these police officers suffer?
5: Sure. Uh so uh, one officer um uh, somebody uh, during the course of us arresting this individual uh clearly uh, some mental health issues uh, quite violent uh headbutted one of our officers our officer was able to just see that the last second and just intuitively turned his head so he you know he was headbutted on the side of his head um we we've had an officer that was uh that was attacked in a park um very very serious and that investigation is still going on uh, and, and there will be perhaps, and we're hoping not, but perhaps some life altering injuries for this uh, particular officer. Uh, we've had uh, a couple of other officers that were, that were attacked by somebody as our officers were moving in to apprehend them under the Mental Health Act. And the uh, person, just uh, unprovoked, uh, started assaulting the officers, kicking and punching. And and it was basically an all-out brawl where the officers had to call for emergency backup. Uh, And those officers received a number of uh, blows to the head, punches, kicks, bruises, and whatnot. But we're, you know, the, the issue here, Mike, is that these are no longer isolated incidents. And, you know, I just want to do a bit of a reality check here that the systems that we have in place and the number of people with mental illness that are unwell, that are on our streets, that are unserved or underserved is is not acceptable. And we need to come to the table and we've got to make some significant changes to keep our community safe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that in the streets of Victoria. We're seeing it on the streets of Vancouver as well. And you mentioned uh, Bill C-75 and some of the changes we've seen to the justice system, particularly as it relates to bail. And could you just explain how that's impacting things? As I understand it, it basically makes bail much more acceptable for a lot of offenders, right? Like people can get bail and get out quicker. Is that what's happening?
5: Yeah, and again, you know, we work closely with Crown Council and the criminal justice system, and and they are good partners. Uh, Now, this is federal legislation. It's within the Criminal Code of Canada. And and again, the spirit of it was to actually provide greater confidence in the criminal justice system. Um, It also really speaks to the principal restraint uh, process that, you know, individuals are presumed innocent uh, un- until they're proven guilty and until they've had their court date. And so uh, there are provisions in place that essentially, in a nutshell, the default position for individuals, unless, of course, it's a serious violent crime against a the person, there is a threshold where individuals will be kept in custody. Make no mistake about it. But there's a significant gray area people that are prolific offenders that have tendencies to violence and maybe they don't quite reach that threshold. Well, there's a bit of a revolving door and these individuals, and there's quite a few of them, are continually being released into the community. So there's no deterrence and no consequence uh, for their actions.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, making apprehending someone under the Mental Health Act. And and I agree with you that I think that mental mental illness plays a big role in some of the problems that we're seeing right now. Do you think that like if a police officer arrests someone under the Mental Health Act, what happens to that person? I mean, is there? Do they go into treatment? I mean, is there any treatment even available for some of these people who are doing these repeat offenses that are obviously struggling with mental illness and and addiction and sometimes both?
5: Yeah. So so this therein lies the problem is where our officers under the Mental Health Act are able to apprehend somebody who's a danger to themselves or others. We would then forthwith take them to a physician for assessment. Our job then ends there. Now, now it's up to the health authority to be able to do the assessment on the individual. And, and you speak of the bigger issue, which is the capacity of the hospital. How many beds do they have? What sort of assessment can they do? And what's the threshold? Here's the other challenge is many people uh, have co-current challenges. Some have drug addiction uh, and mental illness. So how do you differentiate when the behaviors are quite similar? So now if somebody's uh, high on drugs, can you able, are you able to assess their mental state? And if not, do you have to wait uh, to assess that state? And then who holds them in custody during the time that you wait for that assessment to occur? And so these are really challenges of how to navigate the uh, mental health kind of spectrum. And, uh, and, and there are some challenges. And I know the health authorities are well aware of these challenges, and they're working hard. Um, the, the, the challenge that we have as police officers is we're in a no-win situation. Our officers are going out on the streets and the public is telling us we actually don't really want you engaging with mental health calls. And we would really prefer civilian professionals and mental health workers, um, which I know a lot of the police chiefs, including my, myself, support that. But when there's violence and there's somebody's in a full-blown crisis, no mental health professional or social worker is going to risk their safety and try to de-escalate a situation when they don't have the training and the tools. So now the police have to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, so in some cases, it's a, it's obviously, clearly a job for the police when there's a threat of violence and public safety is at risk. So, I mean, you can have uh, mental health interveners there for sure, but I, I think you also need a police presence or someone, someone trained to intervene in, in cases like that. These are important issues that we're continuing to follow closely on the show. I want to thank you very much, uh, Chief Manick for coming on the show today and talking about them. So, oh,
0: this episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Thanks for having me on, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about BC's vaccine passport, the BC vaccine card, now in effect, proof of vaccination required to go into a bar, pub, restaurant, and other non-essential venues. we have got a pretty peaceful rollout of this system so far with uh, some uh, reported pushback as well, though. Take a look at what's going on in the city of Nelson. Great city. Absolutely love it. Got a bit of a lower than average vaccination rate there. About uh, close to 70% residents, I think, have been vaccinated there. And there's been a few little, few pushbacks and problems there in that city with the vaccine card. Nelson Police Department uh, putting out a warning saying that uh, if you do try to bully or harass businesses that are required to pr- inspect these vaccine cards, uh, the police will support those businesses, and you could be arrested. Let's check in with Tanya Finley now, owner of three restaurants in Nelson. And I'm very pleased to welcome her. Tanya, thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. And I've heard, I know some of your places in Nelson, the Finley's Bar and Grill you own. Also Sage. What do they got at Sage? That's a wine bar, right?
6: Sage is an all-B.C. wine bar, and it's been here for 17 years.
1: Wow, very nice. And also Finley's on Richards.
6: Yes, that's located at Granite Point Golf Course.
1: Okay, very well. Congratulations on that. That's wonderful. Have you had any trouble, Tanya, with the vaccine card so far?
6: Well, we rolled out uh, through the province a week before that we would be having, that we'd be setting forward these passports. And so I think it alleviated a lot of the stress on the front line by, you know, disclosing we were going to do it a week beforehand. Yeah. So that week, uh, the actual passport rollout was absolutely fine. But the week previous of that, um, we had... A lot of screaming customers, a lot of emails that came in saying, you know, I won't support your family. How dare you? I don't want to be your friend anymore. Um, These kinds of things were coming through. But the day of, I just stood on the front line of the downtown location and people were accommodating. Uh, We saw a lot of tourists from America, uh, across from Ontario, up north, all with their different passports. And it was a pretty smooth transition overall.
1: Okay, that's good to hear. How's business overall? Has business gone up or down, about the same?
6: Business has gone down substantially across the province. Uh, Definitely people are, one, they're not sure if they have the right ID identification. I think the rollout from the province wasn't done very well. Um, I feel that people, we have a low population of vaccinated people here, so they aren't allowed to come in. And I feel that it was very unfair to have to put this on businesses at this point, although we need to see vaccinations go up. um, Unfortunately, if it's not going to be a cost, Every industry, I feel that it's a very unjust thing to be happening to our industry once again.
1: Yeah, that's very, that's an interesting perspective on it. What do you think would have been a fairer system?
6: Well, I think if you're going to put your fist down and want to say something from a government standpoint, then put it down clearer. What's happening right now is it's isolating industries. And I think if people, if this is what the government wants, then they should be saying, you you stay home.
2: Yeah.
6: And that's, you know... I don't you, feel that everyone has to do that, but that's what the government wants us to do. And penalizing certain industries, again, is uh, getting tiring after two
1: years. Yeah. Now, you've been, you've been dealt a tough hand here for sure. Um, you mentioned that early on you made it very clear to your customers that you would be following the law, that you would be asking for proof of vaccination at the door like you're required to do, and you receive some pushback and threats on that. Did you say, did I think I hear you say, that you, did you lose some friendships over this? Like, did people say, I'm not going to be your friend anymore? Is that what you said?
6: Yes, they actually came out to say that and not to support our family versus I won't support your business. It was a very um, personal communication line. So that was a bit mm. um, overwhelming. But then I realized at the end of the day, if people actually feel that way, following a public health order, um, then truly the friendship wasn't there to begin with. I was just confused over the boundaries of what a friendship was. Because wow. I couldn't ever imagine someone saying that to anyone.
1: Yeah, no, that's really, I'm sorry that's happened to you. Like, why do you think that in Nelson they have this lower lower than average uh, vaccination rate?
6: Well, I think people are scared of the vaccine. Um, I think that the messaging coming across from government, again, is not clear. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that can lead you one way or the other. We had an individual that did have an adverse reaction in a small town um, that was trying to be vaccinated and do the right thing or or go with that process that we're being told to do. And um, it scared a lot of people. So, And I think people are confused. They think it's going to affect their body if they're trying to have a baby. I think there's multiple layers to this, um, that people are concerned it doesn't have enough time. But at the end of the day, I lived through the eye of the storm. We had multiple cases of COVID at one point in Nelson. And you saw us on the news there. And I am double vaccinated and I did not get sick.
1: Right. Right. Speaking of Tanya Finley, Tanya owns three restaurants in Nelson, B.C. And talking about the B.C. vaccine card, the we've seen other businesses uh targeted uh, around British Columbia, like some have been singled out for threats. I mean, there were threats that, oh, we're going to harass your store. We're going to call in fake food orders and that kind of thing. Has anything like that happened to you?
6: No, I think that the uh, press, actually, the media is doing a really good job of getting on top of things. I think the Restaurant Association Chambers of the commerce. They're really getting the message out quickly when someone's rumoring to do something damaging to the individuals. I also think that the Canada has the right to protest. And I think that in general, in Nelson particularly, they've been protesting at the right places, like City Hall. I don't feel that protesting at schools and hospitals is the right way to channel your, your frustration uh, for whatever side of freedom or belief you have,
1: right. What about the uh, the Nelson Police Department? Have you had to deal with them at all?
6: The Nelson Police Department is excellent. Um, yeah. The chief has st- really stood clear on what he was going to do. That if anyone was in danger, that he was going to be making sure that um, those people were going to be charged with either fraud or, you know, arrested if they should harm anyone. So I think that the Nelson Police Department has done an incredible job, and the chief has done a good job leading.
1: Yeah, I mean, they made it pretty clear that if you harass a business that you're going to have to deal with us as, as the cops here in Nelson. And I mean, I think it's good to see that kind of leadership coming from the police there for sure. Have you heard of any other businesses in Nelson that have had any problems?
6: Well, I know that one of the businesses has adapted within all the boundaries of the public health order. And I know that they have also been getting it on the other side of things where they've let go of their liquor license temporarily and they've done a good job of um, following within the rules so that they can sustain their business but not allowing not having to check for the passport vaccine so a lot of restaurants as you've seen on the news they have uh for going to, for like let go of certain um things that they're allowed to do like sell alcohol or take out no dine-in and they're they're modifying their their business to adapt so that they don't have to check the vaccine
1: wow out. wow okay are some businesses in nelson just saying i'm not going to enforce the law if if you come to my restaurant or my pub or whatever i'm not going to ask you for your vaccine card is there anything like that going on
6: well from my understanding i believe that there are businesses all across the province that are doing that and you have to take into account a lot of places like let's take for example somewhere um we have a you know a ferry that runs and the police aren't going to be able to get there for three hours so if you want to call and lots of places in our province don't have bylaw officers at all and the RCMP there might be one officer in an area so for them to be checking ID in a small town they're most likely not going to be able to enforce anything
1: yeah do you think like one of the other purposes of the of the vaccine card is not only to reduce the spread of the virus but it's also it's also an incentive for people to get vaccinated right so if there are people in in nelson that love going to finley's Bar and grill it's one of their favorite places maybe they're unvaccinated maybe that will be an incentive for them to get the vaccine do you think that's working
6: i don't i, don't, I think we saw a lift in the initial stages i don't think we're seeing that now i think it's going to be complete pushback unless the the, the consequence increases yeah but if we're just going to stay right here this is where we're all going to stay
1: Okay, it's a difficult time for the restaurant business, uh, for sure. I mean, you guys operate in a, a thin profit margin to begin with. Uh, never mind with all these challenges faced on top of it. How do you, just last question for you, Tanya, how do you think, how is your business doing overall? Like you mentioned, the business is down. Are you are You think you're going to be able to get through this?
6: I believe we all are. I think we're going to yeah. champion through, and I think the world wants to be on the other side of this, so yeah. I am looking forward to it. Absolutely, we're going to make it through.
1: Alright, thanks for coming on today to talk well, about it. You Appreciate so
6: much. it. Talk
1: to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you all right welcome back to the show let's talk about the pandemic and the music industry now it's interesting to see we see uh, major concert acts getting back on the road now largely south of the border in the united states a lot of big shows being uh, scheduled once again a lot of artists going back on tour including canadian crooner michael buble on the road in the united states And he is putting safety first on his North American tour. Michael Buble has announced that uh, they will have COVID safety protocols at his show. So if you want to get in to see a Michael Buble show, you would have to show proof of vaccination at the door or a negative COVID test uh, to get into the show. He wants to protect his fans. He wants to protect his staff, the building staff. Uh, his roadies everybody that's the rule on the Michael Bublé tour right now didn't really work out in Austin, Texas where he was forced to cancel a concert that was originally scheduled for tonight in the Lone Star State because they weren't able to put those safety protocols into play uh into place that he wanted to see have a listen to this report here now from NBC News and their reporter Tahira Rahman
6: Eric Clapton is set to play here tomorrow along with special guest Jimmy Bond. Some of the protocols that attendees can expect include uh, optional face masks and optional social distancing. Michael Bublé's publicist tells me that they wanted more and it's something she says every other venue that he's performed at so far has been able to meet until now.
1: Okay, that report there from NBC News in Austin, Texas. The Michael Buble show scheduled there for tonight uh, has been canceled. Let's talk to Bruce Allen now. He is the manager of Michael Buble, and Bruce Allen, for more than 40 years, a leader in the Canadian entertainment industry, guiding the careers of musicians. His company, Bruce Allen Talents, one of the most powerful management agencies on the continent, and, of course, he's very well-known here to listeners at CKNW. Hey, Bruce, thanks for coming on. Hi, good to talk to you, Mike. Okay, for a guy like you who's a manager and in, in this business to cancel a show uh, must be one of the toughest calls you got to make, right? H- how did this all go down with uh, Michael Bublé and his unfortunate decision to have to cancel this show tonight?
7: Well, Michael Bublé, you know, when we when we put these shows together, they they went on sale, uh, or the show was still supposed to be in April of 2020, okay? So right. people have been holding on to these tickets for 18 months, maybe nearly two years, okay? And... Uh, they, uh, we decided as things got worse and worse down in the United States, or Michael decided, that he didn't want to risk the health of his crew, his band, or the audience. And he right. thought, and he, it wasn't a, an original idea, other people had done it also, he thought that we got to put um, we got to get them to vaccinate, and we have to have them have, have a negative co- or they have to get a negative COVID test seventy-two hours before the show goes in. That was t- taken up by the. We probably got thirty shows, but it was taken up by everybody but Jacksonville, Florida, and Austin and Fort Worth, Texas. Now wow. we had meetings with them. Jacksonville said okay, and they changed the rules. Hmm. So did Fort Worth. We're playing in Fort Worth tomorrow night. There's uh, it, it's a sellout show. They're going ahead. Uh, I can't tell you about Austin. Austin said, "Listen, we have we have vo- we have volleyball games here. I remember volleyball games here, basketball games here, football games here. We don't have any restrictions. People coming. That's the way it's going to stay." The government, the governor said that. The governor lives on the lives right across from the building. It's on the campus out there in what? Austin, and that was the end of that. And Michael just said, "Well, hey, listen, I just can't set a rule up for." 30, 30, 33 shows, and then when somebody says they don't want to do it, I can't roll over, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to put my people at risk.
1: Yeah, boy, that's a tough call to have to make, (laughs) and just taking a look at Michael Bublé's Twitter feed uh, and his announcement on this, and, and he writes, Bruce, I am not a political person, but my commitment is to complete the tour. And we wanted the protocols to be in place to, to keep people safe. I mean, that's got to be tough. For an entertainer, there's that old saying, the show must go on, right?
7: Yep, but, absolutely. Uh,
1: but how tough is that for a guy like Michael to cancel a show for his fans?
7: really really hard but yeah. not as hard as, as he would count if he had to cancel it for just because he broke his leg or something you know that's like elton john's just happened that he's broken his hip or something because playing with his kids so he's having to cancel dates this one here was he couldn't believe that he lost the argument and either can i because all the other people like i said rolled over And jacksonville uh, i didn't think we jacksonville would roll over i thought that might be the, the toughest but texas is always tough but the texas other day was fine and it, and, he, and so this guy the governor just wanted to make it a statement he made the statement and now we're not going there and of course we're going to get our ass kicked by some of the people who want to go but there's other people who said hey good on you and you know michael said an interesting line to me mike he said i want to be on the right side of history thank you very much
1: okay that's that's <laughs> really interesting speaking to bruce allen he's the manager for canadian singer michael buble it's interesting to hear you mention the texas governor there bruce and that uh, he had brought in an order there in texas that any facility that receives government funding could not require their customers to provide proof of vaccination. Now this venue where Michael was going to play tonight, the Frank Irwin Center is on the is on the campus of the University of Texas as I understand it. That's right. So I wonder if do you think that's one of the reasons why they, they didn't want to bend and put in a proof of vaccination requirement because they, it could cost them state funding?
7: Um, I would hate to think so, but I think when, yeah. now that you say that it makes sense. Uh, personally, I think volleyball or football, they can do whatever they want. I think when it gets to a concert, and here's the difference in a concert, uh, Mike, is that a concert's indoors, okay? Yeah. It's indoors. Football's always outdoors most of the time, outside of some of these big stadiums they're building now. But they're always outside. And there is a difference. And, and uh, so, Mike, Mike just, we made the rule that we're going to do it. That's the way we're going to do it. Then we're going to do it that way. But here's the other thing that a lot of people don't know. There's every night, Mike, in our, tours, our tour right now, is somewhere between 12 and 20% of people who come, who don't come, but the tickets are sold. They hmm. have not turned the tickets in. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they lost them because it's too long. But I was talking to my, my friend who works with Eric Clapton last night, 2,600 no-shows. Wow. Okay, no shows. Okay, they paid for the ticket and decided maybe they got up and said, I don't want to go, I'm afraid to go, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. But 2600 is a lot of t- tickets out of a night. You make holes in the audience like that.
1: Yeah, it sure is. Have you had any people, Bruce, on the tour, Michael Bublé's tour, who have said, well, I did buy a ticket to see Michael Bublé, but I'm not vaccinated, so I, I want my money back?
7: Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. We got that. When we, when we made that announcement uh, as tour-wide announcement, we had sixty-five hundred re- refunds inside of five hours. Wow! They're not wow. going to put. They're not going to. They're not going to get the vaccination. I mean, right. we were we were down there in the we were down there in the south at, at one time and, at, when when we started this thing, and uh, that, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen, Mike. And that so the shows we did we just didn't do we didn't go there we didn't even put the tickets on sale for those
1: All right speaking of bruce allen he's the manager of michael buble and michael buble canceled a show in austin texas tonight over uh, over covid protocols hey bruce you've been in this business a long time i'm sure you've seen a lot of crazy stuff i mean for this one trying to organize a tour for one of your people during this uh this pandemic when you, when you have an artist who, who says, look, I want to put the safety of my fans uh, first here at these venues, what do you think about that as kind of like a business guy? Do you I think that's the right decision?
7: I think I have to respect him. Yeah. Uh, he's the artist. The artist calls the shots. Make no mistake about it. The manager can just get, get put in his uh, his point of view. Uh, and uh, Michael, make that decision. I can't really disagree with him. And I can't yeah. really disagree with him canceling the show when everybody else said, yes, we'll make, we'll take in, the we'll, we'll do what you say. Sure. It, it, it was the only holdout, well, Mike, it's the only holdout. We had to, he had to make a stand, and he, I think he made the right one, and the promoter was in favor of it, the band was, we're all in favor of it. Yeah, did we lose a payday? Sure, but we'll, you know, we can live with ourselves.
1: What do you think about some of these other artists who have taken the opposite position? Notably, you mentioned Eric Clapton, whom I understand was also playing in the Austin Arena there yep. this week. And he has taken the opposite position, right, saying that he won't require any proof of vaccination at any of his concerts. What do you think of that?
7: I mean, that's his choice. Um, I, I'm talking to the people at the concert last night. There were a lot of people in masks, uh, uh, which is pretty good for Texas. A lot, of, a lot of people in masks. A lot of people, uh, you know, like I say, 2,600 people never showed up. Uh, I don't know. But the show was, the show was good, apparently. And that, that's, Eric, that's Eric stance. Okay, yeah. And, and uh, the people can come if they want. I'm sure Van Morrison will have the same stance. But there's mm. a lot of people. We're not new. Uh, the, the, the kid from the, the, the kid uh, styles, whatever his last first name is, I forget. He's out there on a big tour, and he's putting up, up uh, put restrictions also. This is it. We aren't out there by ourselves. Most people are doing that.
1: Last question for you Bruce. When do you think we'll ever get back to some sort of normal in the music business and people will be filling up arenas and stadiums again here especially here in Canada?
7: Ooh, that's really a tough one because you know all of a sudden I'm looking at Canadian dates Michael and I saw that the Leafs the Maple Leafs are going to sell tickets for hockey but every second row. We can't play like that. We got to have we got to have 100% attendance a chance to get 100 percent of all the seats we can't do what hockey does because of their tv contracts and stuff like that so i don't know what's going to happen i had somebody else tell me today that they're talking in vancouver that they're going to have uh, full seating capacity for hockey so if when that happens maybe we'll be able to drag concerts in on on their back but okay. it's, we're going to have to watch and see what they do
1: Okay, I certainly hope that's the case. Bruce, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. You bet, Mike. Take care. Let's talk about the story now that has shocked and transfixed America. That is the disappearance of internet vlogger Gabby Petito, the 22-year-old. Her body tragically now apparently discovered over the weekend at a Wyoming national park. This is months after she had set out on a cross-country trek in a van ...with her 23-year-old boyfriend and fiancé, Brian Laundrie. Uh, They had decided to hit the road. They were cataloging their journey on the Internet. Uh, They got into a fight at one point along the way. There was some very dramatic uh, police video, police body cam footage released... ...showing her, this is heartbreaking, showing her in tears... ...after apparently she had been in a fight with her boyfriend... The boyfriend later returned home to Florida with the van, but without Gabby. And uh, the body of Gabby Petito now has apparently been found in that national park in Wyoming. The breaking developments on this case this morning, the FBI in Florida say they are serving a search warrant now at the home of Brian Laundrie's parents. The whereabouts of Brian Laundrie here, the boyfriend in the case, Currently unknown. Let's discuss now with my guest, Rania Mancarius, CEO of Crime Stoppers in Houston, Texas, a media contributor on crime and crime prevention. Rania, thanks thanks a lot for coming on today.
8: Thank you for having me.
1: This is a shocking story that has transfixed America, and here in Canada we've been paying attention to it too. Uh, Let's let's just talk briefly about, about Gabby Petito. And her her story. Why do you think this has been such a compelling story that people are paying such close attention to? What 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 is it? Well, what was it about her that it, that has been so compelling for people? Do you think?
8: You, you know, a lot of people ask that there are about ninety thousand active missing person cases by the end of yeah. twenty twenty. And Gabby's story for some reason rose to the top. And I think it's because she's everybody's daughter. She's everybody's daughter that went on a road trip with an on and off boyfriend, fiance, were they together, where they've been broken up? Um, She was inviting us on the journey by incorporating social media and hashtagging their their, um, travels. And then all of a sudden, you know, their fight was captured. And as you said, we have video footage of her crying. And then now she's gone and, and they're just like, look like two everyday kids. And it becomes really, really concerning. It's something you become, you know, really all of us are just, what happened to her? How could this happen? Where is Brian? What what did he do? What did he not do? It's just transfixed us all.
1: It really has. And it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And then we've got the, the news that no one wanted to hear that a body had been discovered at a Wyoming national park, uh, apparently Appears to be the body of Gabby, uh, and now the uh, the police search of the home of the boyfriend's parents. What can you tell us about that? What's happening there?
8: Well, uh, we know that um, their search efforts have included everything from drones to bloodhounds. They've used um, articles of his clothing, uh, take you know, scents that they could take from the home to go by to nearby parks. They've looked at 200 acres. Um, they've exhausted some of those searches. Really, he's the missing. Key here: Where is what happened to Gabby? What happened in their final days? Um, What transpired to have her not come back? They they have a history. This young couple they fought often, on and off, um, but they seem to come back together. Why did it change so so drastically? This time? And where is he? What is he hiding? Those are legitimate questions we all want to know the answers to.
1: Yeah, his whereabouts appear to be unknown right now. And they hit the road in that converted van back in July, uh, visiting national parks in the western United States, vlogging it along the way on social media, as, as you mentioned. And there's a lot of interest in that van life, kind of a popular thing for people to do now. So they got a lot of attention and then he returned home with the van to his parents house on September 1st according to police and then yes. and then Gabby was later declared a missing person sometime after that and one of the things i guess that seems to be infuriating people Rania was you know that the parents of the of the guy the parents of the boyfriend here were they, were, what was going on there were they not cooperating with police or they didn't want to talk to police Yeah, they're not talking to police. So he
8: returned September 1st to his home in Northport, Florida with the van, but without Gabby. September 11th, they declared, reported Gabby as a missing person um, after trying to get answers from Brian and from the parents. And and no one is cooperating with law enforcement. In fact, I think they are just referring law enforcement to the family attorney, which is odd and, you know, very, very confusing. And it raises more questions. You know, if you... Um, you have nothing to hide. Be forthcoming. Give us as much information as you can. This was your girlfriend, your fiancé. Where is she? Why aren't you concerned? Don't you want to find her as well? So I think that added to a lot of the frustration, not just for, for Gabby's parents, but also for all of us that are that are following the case. Clearly Brian has information that he's withholding. The family either knows that information and is also withholding it or doing what they can to protect Brian. In either situation that's wrong. And you know, people are going to have to start answering these questions.
1: Yeah, and as far as the boyfriend here go Brian Laundry, as you mentioned, like do we is there any indication at all about where he went, where he is, are police now searching for him and where are they looking for him?
8: So he left um, with a backpack and told his parents he was going on a, a, a local nature reserve, uh, but they, as I said, had gathered things from his home, used drones and bloodhounds. They looked over 200 acres um, and and called it off, saying that there was nothing to report. Um, I think the last place they were looking at was Carlton Reserve in Sarasota County. There, you know, there are a lot of questions left unanswered here, and it's certainly the beginning of a very, very interesting investigation. And one, again, we're all very um, interested to see what happens. Uh, He's not wanted for a crime at the moment, um, but that obviously will change or could change as the investigation continues. Um, You know, I I do think he'll expect to be before a judge in short order, but we're all waiting to see.
1: Okay, last question for you, Rania. We had a search warrant executed by uh, the FBI here in the last few hours. Any indication? It sounds like reports from the scene say police could be seen taking out some boxes of material from out of the parents' house. He lived. Gabby Petito and and Brian Laundry they lived in that home with the with Brian right. Laundry's parents, right?
8: Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. And okay. I think she had lived there for about a year. Uh, which yeah. adds to the frustration of the family. The Brian, the, the laundry family should have you know, loved her like a daughter, and it, it seems like they did. But again, they're refusing to talk to investigators. They're f- refusing to talk to authorities. And yes, FBI issued a warrant. They were in the home, and they did leave with um, boxes and information. So we're all awaiting to see what, what they've uncovered.
1: Okay, we're following it closely. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts and analysis on it today. Appreciate it. Thank
8: you for having me.